Section 15 of Beacon Lights of History, Volume 8, Great Rulers, by John Lord. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by K. Hand. Louis the Fourteenth, Part 3. Yet it was then that he made the most fatal mistake of his life, the evil consequences of which pursued him to his death. He revoked the Edict of Nantes, which Henry the Fourth had granted, and which had secured religious toleration this he did from a perverted conscience wishing to secure the unanimity and triumph of the catholic faith to this he was incited by the best woman with whom he was ever brought in intimate relations in this he was encouraged by all the religious bigots of his kingdom he committed a monstrous crime that good might come not foreseeing the ultimate consequences and showing anything but an enlarged statesmanship this stupid folly alienated his best subjects and sowed the seeds of revolution in the next reign and tended to undermine the throne richelieu would never have consented to such an insane measure for this cruel act not only destroyed veneration at home but created detestation among all enlightened foreigners it is a hackneyed saying that the blood of martyrs is the seed of the church but it would seem that the persecution of the protestants was an exception to this truth and a persecution all the more needless and revolting since the protestants were not in rebellion against the government as in the time of charles the ninth this diabolical persecution justified however by some of the greatest men in france had its intended results the bigots who incited that crime had studied well the principles of successful warfare as early as sixteen sixty six the king was urged to suppress the protestant religion and long before the edict of nantes was revoked the protestants had been subjected to humiliation and annoyance if they held places at court they were required to sell them if they were advocates they were forbidden to plead if they were physicians they were prevented from visiting patients they were gradually excluded from appointments in the army and navy little remained to them except commerce and manufactures protestants could not hold catholics as servants soldiers were unjustly quartered upon them their taxes were multiplied their petitions were unread but in sixteen eighty five dragonades subjected them to still greater cruelties who tore up their linen for camp beds and emptied their mattresses for litters the poor unoffending protestants filled the prisons and dyed the scaffolds with their blood they were prohibited under the severest penalties from the exercise of their religion their ministers were exiled their children were baptized in the catholic faith their property was confiscated and all attempts to flee the country were punished by the galleys two millions of people were disenfranchised two hundred thousand perished by the executioners or in prisons or in the galleys all who could fly escaped to other countries and those who escaped were among the most useful citizens carrying their arts with them to enrich countries at war with france some two hundred thousand contrived to fly thus weakening the kingdom and filling europe with their execrations never did a crime have so little justification and never was a crime followed with severer retribution yet letellier the chancellor at the age of eighty thanked god that he was permitted the exalted privilege of affixing the seal of his office to the act before he died madame de maintenon declared that it would cover louis with glory madame de savigny said that no royal ordinance had ever been more magnificent hardly a protest came from any person of influence in the land not even from fenelon the great bossuet at the funeral of letellier thus broke out 
let us publish this miracle of our day and pour out our hearts in praise of the piety of louis this new constantine this new theodosius this new charlemagne through whose hands heresy is no more the pope though at this time hostile to louis celebrated a te deum among those who fled the kingdom to other lands were nine thousand sailors and twelve thousand soldiers headed by marshal schomberg and admiral duquesne the best general and best naval officer that france then had other distinguished people transferred their services to foreign courts the learned cloud who fled to holland gave to the world an eloquent picture of the persecution Jurieu, by his burning pamphlets excited the insurrection of Cévan. Bassange and rapine the historians saurin the great preacher papin the eminent scientists and other eminent men all exiles weakened the supports of louis france was impoverished in every way by this great miracle of the reign so that says martin the new temple that louis had pretended to erect to unity fell to ruin as it rose from the ground and left only an open chasm in place of its foundations the nothingness of absolute government by one alone was revealed under the very reign of the great king the rebound of the revocation overthrew all the barriers within which louis had entrenched himself all the smothered fires of hatred and of vengeance were kindled anew in holland and in every protestant country william of orange headed the confederation of hostile states that dreaded the ascendancy and detested the policy of louis the fourteenth all europe was resolved on the humiliation of a man it both feared and hated the great war which began in sixteen eighty eight when william of orange became king of england on the flight of james the second was not sought by louis this war cannot be laid to his military ambition he provoked it indeed indirectly by his arrogance and religious persecutions but on his part it was as truly defensive as were the wars of napoleon after the invasion of russia whatever is truly heroic in the character of louis was seen after he was forty-eight whatever claims to greatness he may have had are only to be sustained by the memorable resistance he made to united europe in arms against him when his great ministers and his best generals had died Turenne died in sixteen seventy five, Colbert in sixteen eighty three, Conde in sixteen eighty six, Letellier in sixteen eighty seven, and Louvois in sixteen ninety one. Then it was that his great reverses began, and his glory paled before the son of the King of England. These reverses may have been the result of incapacity, and they may have been the result of the combined forces which outnumbered or overmatched his own certain it is that in the terrible contest to which he was now doomed he showed great force of character and great fortitude which command our respect i cannot enter on that long war which began with the league of augsburg in sixteen eighty six and continued to the peace of ryswick in sixteen ninety seven nine years of desperate fighting when successes and defeats were nearly balanced and when the resources of all the contending parties were nearly exhausted france at the close of the war was despoiled of all her conquests and all the additions to her territory made since the peace of nimguin except strasbourg and alsace for the first time since the accession of richelieu to power france lost ground the interval between this war and that of the spanish succession an interval of three years was only marked by the ascendancy of madame de maintenon and a renewed persecution directed not against protestants but against those catholics who cultivated the highest and freest religious life and in which bousset appears to a great disadvantage by the side of his rival the equally illustrious fenelon 
it was also marked by the gradual disappearance of the great lights in literature la fontaine died in sixteen ninety five racine in sixteen ninety nine boileau was as good as dead mesdames de sablière and de la fayette pelecion and busset raboutin la bruyere and madame sevigny all died about this time the only great men at the close of the century in france who made their genius felt were busset who encouraged the narrow intolerance which aimed to suppress the jansenists and the quietists and fenelon who protected them although he did not join them the eagle of mayo and the swan of cambrai as they were called offering in the realm of art the eternal duality of strength and grace like michelangelo and raphael the one inspiring the fear and the other the love of god yet both seeing in the christian religion the highest hopes of the world the internal history of this period centers around those pious mystics of whom madame guillon was the representative and those inquiring intellectual jansenists who had defied the jesuits but were finally crushed by an intolerant government the lamentable dispute between busset and fenelon also then occurred which led to the disgrace of the latter as a banishment to his diocese was regarded but in his exile his moral influence was increased rather than diminished while the publication of his telemaque made without his consent from a copy that had been abstracted from him won him france and europe though it rendered louis the fourteenth forever irreconcilable busset did not long survive the banishment of his rival and died in seventeen o four a month before bordelot and two years before bale france intellectually under the despotic intolerance of the king was going through an eclipse or hastening to a dissolution while the material state of the country showed signs of approaching bankruptcy the people were exhausted by war and taxes and all the internal improvements which colbert had stimulated were neglected the fisheries of normandy were ruined and the pasture lands of alsace were taken from the peasantry picardy lost a twelfth part of its population many large cities were almost abandoned in normandy out of seven hundred thousand people there were but fifty thousand who did not sleep on straw the linen manufacturers of brittany were destroyed by the heavy duties terrain lost one-fourth of her population the silk trade of tours was ruined the population of troyes fell from sixty thousand to twenty thousand lyon lost twenty thousand souls since the beginning of the war in spite of these calamities the blinded king prepared for another exhausting war in order to put his grandson on the throne of spain this last and most ruinous of all his wars might have been averted if he only could have cast away his ambition and his pride humbled and crippled he yet could not part with the prize which fell to his family by the death of carlos the second of spain but europe was determined that the bourbons should not be further aggrandized thus in seventeen o one war broke out with even intensified animosities and lasted twelve years directed on the one part by marlborough eugene and heinsius and on the other part by villars vendome and cantinat during which the finances of france were ruined and the people reduced to frightful misery it was then that louis melted up the medallions of his former victories to provide food for his starving soldiers he offered immense concessions which the allies against him rejected he was obliged to continue the contest with exhausted resources and a saddened soul he offered marlborough four millions to use his influence to procure a peace but this general venal as he was preferred ambition to money 
the despair which once overwhelmed holland now overtook france the french marshals encountered a greater general than william the third whose greatness was in the heroism of his soul and his diplomatic talents rather than in his genius on the battlefield but marlborough who led the allies never lost a battle nor besieged a fortress he did not take his master stroke was to transfer his operations from flanders to the danube at blenheim was fought one of the decisive battles of the world in which the teutonic nations were marshalled against the french the battle of ramier completed the deliverance of flanders and louis completely humiliated agreed to give up ten flemish provinces to the dutch and to surrender to the emperor of germany all that france had gained since the peace of westphalia in sixteen forty eight he also agreed to acknowledge Anne as Queen of Great Britain and to banish the pretender from his dominions. England was to retain Gibraltar and Spain to cede to the Emperor of Germany her possessions in Italy and the Netherlands. But France, with all of her disasters, was not ruined. The Treaty of Utrecht, 1713, left Louis nearly all his inherited possessions except in America. Louis was now seventy-four, an old man whose delusions were dispelled, and to whom successive misfortunes had brought grief and shame. He was deprived by death of his son and grandson, who gave promise of rare virtues and abilities. Only a feeble infant, his great-grandson, was the heir of the monarchy. All his vast enterprises had failed. He suffered, to all appearance, a righteous retribution for his early passion for military glory. He had invaded the rights of Holland, and Holland gave him no rest until— with the aid of the surrounding monarchies, France was driven to the verge of ruin. He had destroyed the cities of the Palatinate, and the Rhine provinces became a wall of fire against his armies. He had conspired against liberty in England, and it was from England that he experienced the most fatal opposition. His wars, from which he had expected glory, ended at last in the curtailment of his original possessions. His palaces, which had excited the admiration of Europe, became the monuments of extravagance and folly his persecutions by which he hoped to secure religious unity sowed the seeds of discontent anarchy and revolution he left his kingdom politically weaker than it was when he took it he entailed nothing but disasters to his heirs his very grants and pensions were subversive of intellectual dignity and independence at the close of the seventeenth century the great lights had disappeared he survived his fame his generals his family and his friends the infirmities of age oppressed his body and the agonies of religious fears disturbed his soul we see no greatness but in his magnificence we strip him of all claims to genius and even to enlightened statesmanship and feel that his undoubted skill in holding the reins of government must be ascribed to the weakness and degradation of his subjects rather than to his own strength but the verdicts of the last and present generation of historians educated with hatred of irresponsible power may be again reversed and louis the fourteenth may loom up in another age if not as the grand monarch whom his contemporaries worshipped yet as a man of great natural abilities who made fatal mistakes and who like napoleon after him alternately elevated and depressed the nation over which he was called to reign not like napoleon as a usurper and a fraud but as an honest though proud and ambitious sovereign who was supposed to rule by divine right of whom the nations of europe were jealous who lived in fear and hatred of his power and who finally conspired not to rob him of his throne and confine him to a rock but to take from him the provinces he had seized and the glory in which he shone authorities 
Voltaire's Age of Louis the Fourteenth, Henri Martin's History of France, Miss Pardot's History of the Court of Louis the Fourteenth, Letters of Madame de Maintenon, Memoirs de Graville, Saint Simon, P. Clement, Le Gouvernement de Louis XIV, Memoirs de Choisy, Overs de Louis XIV, Lumière's Histoire de Louis XIV, Quincy's Histoire Militaire de Louis XIV, Lives of Colbert, Turenne, Valbon, Condé, and Louvois, Macaulay's History of England, Lives of Fenelon and Bousset, Memoirs de Foucault, Memoirs des Deux de Bourgogne, Histoire de l'Edit de Nantes, Lairs Histoire de Louis the Fourteenth, Memoirs de Madame de Lafayette, Memoirs de Saint Hilaire, Memoirs de Maréchal de Berwick, Memoirs de Villette, Lettres de Madame de Savigny, Memoirs de la Mademoiselle de Montpensier, Memoirs de Catina, Life by James. End of section fifteen.